Welcome to Training for Manhood, an ongoing exploration and adventure intended to be fast, fun, and formative for guys who desire to be the best men they can. Young or old, there are always areas for improvement, growth, and maturity. We hope you'll pay attention and put into practice the useful advice you hear on this podcast. But remember, the goal isn't just to listen, but to do what you learn. Welcome to Training for Manhood. All right, welcome back to Training for Manhood. Got Tim and Jonathan here. We're um, we're in our last three chapters um, of Strange New World: How Thinkers and Activists Defined, Redefined Identity and Sparked the Sexual Revolution um, by Carl Truman. Um, and I think if I had to summarize where we've gone so far, um, is in the first couple chapters he uh, he gives us where the rise of the individual. Um, has taken over uh, society, institutions, religion, all things, right? So the individual is the preeminent. Um, All things must bow to the individual and the feelings of the individual. Um, And then he has to get rid of objective truth. So any way to challenge the individual from an outside standpoint so that it becomes only your opinion versus mine. Um, So he's got to get rid of God, and he does that. Um, And now we're going to move on to how do we uh, in some way disassociate gender from biology, Right, because because the other thing is, um, you know, Tim, you may say something, and I can't disagree with you. Right, it's your, you know, whatever you say versus whatever I say. But there's still one thing that we have, uh, and that is just the objective truth of what I see. So if you say, "Hey, I'm a woman," right, and I don't believe there's a god, so now I've got, I'm looking at you going, "But you look like a guy." <laughs> so, so how do we get rid of that? And I think that's kind of an interesting aspect to, to finally get rid of. Is like now. Um, there can't be any objective truth, um, and it's not just a God that I'm talking about and his rules, which I may or may not know. Uh, it's literally what I see in front of me, right? So when I say, you know, I identify as a, and you go, that's not what you look like, hmm. I somehow have to get rid of that too. And so that's where he's going to go, um, chapters 7, 8, um, and then he's going to leave us with chapter 9, and that is what, what do we do, right? What do we do in the midst of this? Uh, this chaos and this mess, how do we respond, right, as believers? And so chapter 7, or do you guys have any other summary to get us up to where we are now that you wanted to go into before diving into chapter 7? Good? It's a really good summary. I mean, you're, you're good at summaries. That was, that was well done. It <laughs> was really well done. Hey, could you read all books for me and summarize them? <laughs> that'd be great. <laughs> that'd, be, yeah. that'd be great. That'd be really, really that's helpful. That's Friday. the other podcast coming, Summary with Dan. I like yeah, that. I, I like, like that. that. All right. Um, uh, oh, uh, phone's off for a second. Moving because I'm getting a little bit of feedback there. Okay, so chapter seven, it says um, where we're moving to and how we get rid of um, the the move from biology to gender. Um, These are some people that I haven't really heard of before and hadn't read of before, but he's giving us some great insight into this concept um, where um, Simone de um, Boulevard, right, the French philosopher, Mm. um, is going to write about how this, you know, one is not born but rather becomes a woman. And so this whole idea that – who you are is something that you make of yourself. Um, and there's part of this that is true, right? Uh, you know, you would say that um, developing, I mean, training for manhood is the whole idea of developing into being what it, you know, what it means to be a man. Um, but the concept is, is you're still a male. Your gender is still male, right? So whether you're a boy or whether you're a man, we can debate that whole concept. But the whole idea of, well, you're still a male. Right. A woman can't become a man, Right, so whether her gender is whatever it is, right? It's, she's never going to become a man, no matter no matter what it is. But you can see how some of this, you know, some of this concept goes on here. Um, she's he's going to write about this whole idea of um, Judith Butler. Um, he's going to write about how gender is a performance. 
um, you know, a set of behaviors that society has come to expect from those who possess a certain kind of body. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're going to go into this, what he calls um, the um, Yogi Akama principles, and it's a universal guide to human rights. Uh, and it's basically the whole idea of regardless of what a person um, says or does, we all have to protect now legally those particular um, beliefs and those particular actions. And so there's a there's a worldwide movement um, that he's, you know, that has sort of evolved into where we are now. And he's, he's writing that and expressing that uh, and giving us some understanding of how we got to where we are uh, and where we're going to go from that. Um, what do you guys think about that concept of just how um, gender uh, is removed from biology? Because it's a, it's a pretty major um, disconnect that has to happen for this philosophy to take place. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is the disconnect, though, right? I mean, it's sort of like post-postmodernism. Yes. And this whole idea of hyper-existentialism, which is that what is what is real. And this isn't a new thing, by the way. We've, we've dealt with this in Christian history before, this idea of aestheticism and the Stoics and what's real, what's not, yep. what's, what's separate from the body, what's so that, like, Gnostics. it's all. Right, right. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the same kind of idea. Like, so if I can see it, hold it, taste it, touch it, that's real. Everything yep. else is not. If yep. it's if it's all this other sort of undefined stuff, that's real. And it, so it's funny how, like, everything keeps getting re-engineered, the same bad ideas. Totally. And I think that's a part of it, right, is is this idea that I can sort of separate, like you were saying, womanhood from the, the reality, the biological reality of being a woman or vice versa manhood. So, of course, we grow into becoming men, but that doesn't mean that my biological manhood starts at a certain point when I sort of ascent to that place. Yep. But therein lies the real trap door of this kind of way of looking at the world. And I, I, what I appreciate is that he sort of takes you from some point, a bit of an inception point, and then rolls you down that slippery slope of where that inevitably, and this is really important, it's, this is inevitably where it will take you. Yes. Like if you step out of the biblical design, the only option is down and fast. Yep. And so not only mentally, but, but also I think emotionally as well. And I think he does that really well. Yeah. I think it's kind of interesting when, when you give arguments that aren't based on biblical and objective truth, eventually mm-hmm. that argument is going to run into something um, that – that demonstrates that that argument is not going to be valid and workable. And I, I noticed this um, during COVID um, because one, one of the things that happened is that the primary argument really for those who are pro-abortion was the whole my body, my choice, mm. right? And so it became kind of the mantra, right? Unless if I could, it's a COVID vaccination. Right. I can right. do whatever I want with right. my body, right. right? And then the COVID vaccination became a big deal and people were like, right. oh, wait a second. That's the same mantra. Can we just apply it here? And it's like, right. no, no, that's a, that's a misapplication of that. And it's like, right. is it, right? I mean, if, if it's your body and you get to choose whether the life in you is alive or not, you can actually take that life and extinguish it because it's my body and I control, then shouldn't you have the control over somebody sticking a needle in your arm? And the answer is, of course, those logically would seem to go together. But it's very funny how, right, a lot of that pitted people, right, in very different camps, right? Where people, you know, now the, the pro-abortion argument is not my body, my choice. <laughs> no, right. You know, so they, and so that, I think that whole concept is, um, you know, Truman's talking about as we separate, you know, gender and sexuality from the body, we're going to come up with a lot of um, arguments of why this is right. true. And eventually those things are going to run into walls where just logically it's, it's going to be a really difficult thing Right to, to actually fashion yeah. right like what what are we going to do when that happens and I think we're beginning to see that um, you know uh, you know we go from you know um, it, I was 
there was a great conference I was at and they were talking about how the, you know, LGBTQ, um, you know, are all very different, right? You can t- kind of lump, you know, um, uh, lesbianism and, you know, homosexuality, right. right? But then bisexuality all of a sudden becomes very different, right? But then transgender is a whole different concept. And becomes an enemy and be- of some of those other identifications. And becomes an enemy. Right. And you see right. the Civil right. War. Exactly. Kind of and so all too. of a sudden, all the moves forward, right? And we you know, talk about this in sports. All the moves forward that women were able to produce women's sports, right? right. All of a sudden now, with transgender ideology, men can play women's sports because you can just identify. And so you take all of those things. And men are beginning to, you know, dominate some of those things. And some of the women who fought for women's equality and women's rights now are fighting, right, against people who identify as women because they're not, you know, biologically women. And so that whole concept seems like it's like, oh, my goodness, eventually that argument is going to find a place where it just runs into logic and it doesn't make any sense. So in some sense, what he's saying is, you know, we, we have to suspend logic, too. Yeah, because right? yeah. that's you know you suspend objective truth. You have to sp- suspend logic. Yeah. What you see with your eyes to be true, like you, you can't say that's true anymore. It literally has to become whatever I say is true is the only definition of truth that you can have. Yeah, and it's poorly defined too, right? So it's this idea of um, this constant transportation of insanity. So what our grandparents and great grandparents, I, I think, would I know what mine would have said, would say, no, that's not even plausible, right? Right? Like you, like if you read, if you didn't show them the video and you just read what people said on social media or what they project, they would say, nah, it's made up. That's yep. that's a fable. There's exactly. no way that that's real people. Well, saying in the that. absence of technological advancement, which would make some of these realities true, oh, that's sure. a point he does talk about. How yep. we wouldn't even think yep. about this if it right. wasn't possible, right. Medically or right. you know whatever to creates this false yeah. reality. Yeah, that compound effect of social, like, yeah. and for and for young guys hearing this, Dan, too, I think it's important to realize, like, the compound effect of what not only we choose to go see in our interaction social with social media and online, but then in what is sort of fed to you mm. through through the algorithm and the technological innovation of it. And, I mean, the AI, the AI revolution and all that's coming, I'm thinking about, like, for young sons that we have and for, yep. for young guys, I'm thinking yep. about all the, the inundation that's coming because once you open these doors and you sort of take the controls, the restrictor plates off the insanity, yep. then what you're left with is unchecked insanity. And I mean, I don't, I don't mean that rude to folks because no, totally. I understand this really, but but it is irrational yes. and it manifests into full blown insanity. I'm a man swimming next to a girl, uh, winning a medal in an all girls sport. Right. It's like that's insane. Right. No, that's. No, no, you, you're insane. So it's this it's this opposite thinking that's turned everything around. And then people think, well, if I speak to it, then I'm the bigot. I'm I, I'm I'm wrong for calling out your irrationality, which is what we did back in the day. It's what we'd have done at any Kmart yeah. when you saw a kid just going nuts. You'd be like, surely that dad's going to handle that, right? But yeah. that's that table's turned now. It's it's totally different. Well, and, and going back to Dan's point, this I, you know when 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 you lose objective reality, you know, truth is that which corresponds mm. with reality. So right. if you reject truth, then you're accepting a lie. And right. when you move mm. that way. What's left is all of this circular talk and redefinition and, mm-hmm. and all this because there's no grounds for anything. Yep. And so I also find it interesting um, when you talk about this idea of one is and, – and I can't remember who exactly said it, but it talks about this idea of one's not born but rather becomes yep. a specific mm-hmm. gender. Yep. Mm-hmm. What's funny about that to me – it's not funny, but um, if one identifies one way – in opposition to their biological sex, it's interesting to me 
then why does the expression of that form a certain way? Right. So, mm-hmm. for example, if I'm a biological male but yet I identify as a woman, I express that in what we would call feminine ways. It look feminine. Right. right. But why, why couldn't I express them any way I wanted? Because how I identify, right, then I can, I can you know, play baseball and say, hey, baseball is feminine, right? And you're like, well, why couldn't it be, right? Because I, I, can, I can literally change my gender, so why can't I change the social constructs that say, well, you know, men do this and women do that? And it's like, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm recreating everything. Right. Right. So it, it, it is funny, right, that that concept is, um, you know, you know uh, there's a little boy who, you know, wears pink and likes to dance. Well, he must be a girl. And it's like, wait, wait a second. So <laughs> I see where you're going. Right. But now you're falling into the kind of social trap of, well, that's what girls – Right, have traditionally worn. Why can't boys wear pink and dance? Mm-hmm. Right? Why can't you know girls? You know, go play in the mud and you know rest. I mean, so, like, it's, so it's it's a weird thing where mm-hmm. all of these things. If we're, if we're just making up reality and we can make up anything we want, it's funny how we simply fall back into the existing reality of what we know, and it, it becomes a problem. Right? Right? So there, there there's part of part of it. Um, he goes on. He's going to write um, about how how you know we have to protect. Um, he writes this uh, in principle three of that Yogi Gama's, um, you know, universal part is, is he says something, each person's self-defined sexual expression and gender identity is integral um, to their personality. And it was uh, one of the most basic aspects of self-determination, dignity, and freedom. Uh, and so I, I'm mm. thinking to myself, of course, saying if a person's self-defined, right, sexual orientation, gender identity, is their, you know, most important aspect of self-determination, at some point, right, why wouldn't we be okay in society to allow, to allow people to define themselves however they want? Right. But why do we then have to force it on me to define them that way well, as cl- well? Well, because you clearly hate dignity and freedom, Dan. That's, exactly. That must be why. And, right? and, that's, and that's what it lies. That's my only conclusion. Right, that's what it lies in. Right. Right. It's not just enough for a person to express themselves. They have to express themselves and I have to accept it. Sounds – Totalitarian to me, not necessarily yeah, free. <laughs> no, no, that's that's exa- that's exactly right. There, there is, and he, and he alludes to this in chapter seven. There is an underlying Marxism here that we really shouldn't miss. Yes. And so, if you're out there and you're in, you know, sitting in sociology 101, don't don't don't, don't let this fly that's right. by. That's right. Like there is a Pay flattening to here. This. Yeah, there's a flattening here of the genders inside Marxist ideology yeah. in particular. That's really really dangerous. And this is, and he kind of alludes to that there as well because yeah, if you tie in. You know, self-determination, that's a, that's a real founding father's kind of word right there. Yep. Uh, that had a real sense in the, in the modernistic mind, even in the Enlightenment mind. Those guys knew what they meant by that. That had, a, that had an outcome that mm-hmm. was obvious. It was built by natural law and the mores of the day. That's, that means, that's what you were talking about a minute ago. Right. But this idea that my self-defined reality becomes now my self-determined purpose, and you're in my way if you block it. Yeah. You, us – culture and so culture's only option it would appear is to accommodate but yeah. we're finding out that that's not an option either because you'll never accommodate enough because when you, you said that you i can't. thought how, yeah. far, how far down the continuum do i go yeah. before my self-defined fill-in-the-blank horrible thing becomes my self-determined reality yep. and then we have a no we don't just have a 
biological or, or, or sociological problem. We have, we have a mountain of legal issues. I can start hurting kids. I can start hurting people. I can start all this litany of really, really bad stuff. So when you tie that to self-defined reality, that's a, that's a bad place to go. Yeah. And, and this is where there's the huge separation then between gender and sexuality and something else that identifies a person, and that is race, mm. which, which we've had in our culture, right, where race has been a defining characteristic of a person. Um, and when somebody would say, right, you know, hey, uh, I own a restaurant and I only want people of a certain race to eat at my restaurant, and we say, no, you can't do that. Um, so the concept becomes, right, race becomes something you can say, um, you can't use that to define a person, right? A person is a person regardless of what race they are. Then gender and sexuality comes along and says, hey, like, you know, isn't that the same thing? Why can't I just be defined of whatever I want? The hard part is, right, race isn't something that you can change. So Correct. I, I can't walk into a place and say, hey, identify, you know, as, you know, Indian or African-American or whatever, whatever kind of race. Right. I can't right. make something like that up and people just go, okay, but yet I'm allowed to make up my gender and sexuality. So we've, we've removed gender and sexuality from the, lo- the you know, logic of, um, of biology, but we haven't done that yet with age, race, um, you know, height, weight, things like that, that, you know, it's like th- those are going to be things where people are going to go, what's the next step, right? Can I identify as a seven-foot-one Chinese woman? And the answer is no, no you can identify but, as a woman, right? But you can't identify as seven foot one because <laughs> you're not. And I'm like, okay. And you can identify as Chinese because you're not. And I'm like, but I'm not a woman either, mm-hmm. right? So this is where you take this line of reasoning and it's like eventually it's going to run into something where everybody goes no. And then once you say no to one thing, do you start backtracking and go, okay, so is the other part true or not? I mean, do, do, does, it, does that make sense? Right. Like is our culture ready to get into that conversation, right? Because – you know, most people are just accommodating and say, hey, no big deal. But what Truman's saying is, listen, that's not going to work. You're, you're going to have to not only accommodate, you're going to have to accept, you're going to have to endorse, you're going to have to, you know, appreciate. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, wait a second. If I do all that for this, right, do I do it for every single thing that a person makes up? Right. And the answer is, I don't know. I mean, the law doesn't. It no, can't. not yet. It, it, yeah. yeah, not yet. Not we'll, yet. We'll see. But the goalpost <laughs> keeps ever so – but it, yeah, the, when the snowball – Start small at the top of the mountain, yeah, and rolls yeah, down. It, it, it gets yeah, bigger and bigger and bigger. It gets bigger and bigger, and, bigger and, and, and who knows what it takes, consequences. right? Consequences. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think that's uh, that. That's assuredly where we are, and we'll see more of it. Is, is certainly in the legal space because yeah. when people can't win in the cultural, they they win in the legal space. They litigate it. Yeah, Wh- and, which is where okay, which is where chapter eight takes us. Yeah. because he's saying right once you once you start that snowball and it starts going down. Um, there's going to be people who are going to say and ask these questions and say, hey, listen, that, that's not right. That's not true. That's not good. That, right? They're going to be pushing back. And so the next chapter is about – it's like life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And he starts writing about how things that we used to appreciate and protect, and that is uh, freedom of religion and freedom of speech, right. now have to be um, in some way limited. Right? You, you, hey, you can't say that. Hey, you can't even believe that. Right. Um, and so th- this is becoming something where, you know, he's saying from a Christian perspective, uh, and there's a couple cases that he's giving as an example. Um, and, and, you know, one of them, we, we, you just, you know, you have to, you have to grasp the whole idea is when um, homosexuality went from, you know, prohibit to permit, and then it's moving to promote, mm-hmm. right? And as people begin to kind of push back on that, um, the, the law looked at it and it was just like, wait a second, 
right? Why would you not want this, right? Mm-hmm. And you, you take the morality, right? Objective standard, God's word, you, you know, the law says, hey, toss all that out. Then it moved to um, what is just good, right, and true for society, the best way for human flourishing. And it tossed that out. And it went to, hey, this is the way people live. This is what makes them happy. And the only way for you to stand against this is for you to hate the people that identify this way. And they're legal, right? I mean, it literally is a case, right? Um, that in, you know, it's the U.S. versus Windsor case, you know, in 2013. Basically, it's just like, listen, if you stand against same-sex marriage, right, it's only because of animosity, right? So yeah, they're, they're, are, they're placing upon you um, your justification for saying, no, this isn't right. No, this isn't good. No, this isn't best for our society. Um, and once they did that, right, we got to a Burgerfell, which legalized same-sex marriage. Um, and, and the question is, you know, is, you know what, what's next, right? Where, where do we go from here from a legal standpoint if you suspend reality and you don't allow people to present an objective, um, you know, uh, discussion of a disagreement that's based on something, right, whether it's based on biblical truth or whether it's based on scientific logic, it doesn't right. really matter. Right. You can't allow them to present that right, in society, because that's going to have weight. So you have to silence them. And so what he's saying is, hey, Christians, pay attention to this, because Mm -hmm. what we've always considered before, right, and that is a Christian walking into society who's got truth on his side, he's a good citizen, right, we're going to make society better because we're here. Um, Speak up, say things, make the world a better place around you. He's like, be careful, because you're going to start to be silenced. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because the world doesn't seem to be asking for that anymore. Right. Or not, not nearly as much from a cultural acceptance standpoint. I mean, there's this, there's a lot of research right now coming out where it's you know this whole idea of juxtaposing where we were say 50 or 80 years ago mm-hmm. on things like church attendance or relatively bad ideas versus relatively good ideas yep. and how church attendance and exposure to some level of biblically faithful preaching on a somewhat regular basis, say two generations ago, impacted so much of the zeitgeist in the culture. So we generally all agree X, Y, and Z are bad ideas. Now, I might not be a born-again believer, right? but you'll periodically see me in some kind of church. And so it's like we mostly are down with that idea. Yeah. And so there's a there's an overwhelming majority that you know, on the street on an average day, I'm, I'm probably not going to be cool with this or this or this, and we aren't either. But now that's all defragmented. Yeah. And and I think that implication there, again, just for, for guys thinking about this and listening, just the idea of you being tied to a local church, being under faithful preaching, walking in community, have people that are like-minded, guys in your corner that love you and know Jesus and want to see you get better is really, really essential because the aloneness of what he's talking about, and you'll find it periodically in the workplace and periodically, and I hope not, but maybe even in your church. Uh, I hope not, but you might. Yeah. Um, that's real. And and I think you've got to, you've got to recognize that like-mindedness matters and you got to have those people in your life because when you get asked to do that, I was talking to a guy not long ago who – He's being confronted in his workspace with a lot of tough decisions because he's being asked by his employer to affirm and accept and promote these things. And the question he's asking is, how much longer can I do that with integrity? And he's really lonely in his office. It's it's been fascinating to watch Christians try to figure out ways to work around, Mm -hmm. right? So Christian teachers in a public school, um, Mm. you know, little boy comes in, says, I identify as a girl, right? And so, you know, my name's not, you know, um, Johnny anymore. It's Julie. Right. And so you go, okay, so here's here's what we're going to do. Right. Um, As a Christian, I think that God made you a girl. So I don't want to affirm this transition. Um, So let's call all students by their last names. 
right? And so Christians have, right? Well, here's the deal. That's not an acceptance no. of Julie. Just understand that, right? That's, that, that seems like a reasonable thing that you can make, right? All students call by their last name. No big deal. We're not doing gender at all. But if Johnny wants to be Julie and you call them Smith, that doesn't recognize Julie. That's the point that they're trying to make is, hey, Christians, just understand the whole um, reasonable accommodations that we tried to figure out, um, you're not going to be able to play that game anymore, right? It'll never be good enough. Not only do you have to call her Julie, right? You've you've got to go to her birthday party and bring her something pink to wear. I mean, it's like like, that's how far things are getting to. And that's what he's saying in this particular chapter is we got to be careful in this, right? This – Right. I mean, and, and, you know, not just gender and sexuality, but now, you know, children are identifying as, you know, Furbies or whatever they are, furries. And, you know, <laughs> I got a kid who's, you know, identifies as a dog. Well, what do I do with that? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like what weirdness do I have to? And then how long can I stay working for a place that forces me to recognize those things? Right. And to accept you know, hmm. that, that, that whole concept, right? Because you're, you're going against what's best for that particular person, hmm. right, when you, you know, accept those decisions that they're making. But we, and we hope there's margin for appeal for that Christian in those spaces to somebody or some infrastructure or framework that's like, hey, I, you're asking me to go well beyond what's sacred to me yeah. to accommodate the sacredness of – the pseudo-sacredness of this person. Yep. Who, but I think that's the question, right, is like who – who is that appeal going to be made to? And that's where I think the reality of your of your theology and, and all of that kind of has to – you have to make a decision at some point there well, too. Well, and I think just going back to what you said earlier, just pastorally, the importance of biblical community, mm-hmm. right? And to, and to have people around you who are like-minded, like you said, and, and can come alongside you. Because I think as time goes on, as we see the trajectory of these things, I mean, more and more we're going to be faced with really, really hard decisions yeah. that if we're going to stand – uh, in our, I mean, in our biblical worldview, and make decisions accordingly, it's going to cost us. I mean, mm-hmm. and that's and that's just something that we're just gonna we're gonna have to count that. And Jesus told us, I mean, the the world hated me; it's going to hate you. And I think having that source of encouragement and that community and and being plugged in um, is is all the more important when it yeah. when it comes to that, right? Because. We are to be called to be a, a kingdom of priests. We're a royal priesthood, right? I mean, we're, we are going to be separate and distinct from the world around us. Now, the way we live and how we live is supposed to image forth the goodness and the greatness of our God right. and the flourishing right. that exists when you operate according to his will and his ways. But, you know, living in this postmodern world in which we live in, we also have to have a refuge to come back to, to encourage one another and help one another because— Ultimately, it is going to cost us. We're, we're going to need each other. Yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. So he ends up with chapter 9 and says, then what, then what do we do? Right? Where, where do we go as Christians? And I think there's a, um, there's a couple different thoughts out there being expressed from Christians. Right? Do we, um, in a sense, retreat from the culture, um, let it go to hell in a handbasket, and then come back and revive it? Um, you know, and, and part of me, it's, it's interesting, you know, I, I work at a, a private Christian school and I would have thought that a private Christian school was kind of a retreat from the culture. 
uh, until I started working here. And I realized, you know, it's really not. It's an equipping for the culture. So it's, mm. it's a fantastic opportunity. Um, you know, uh, can, can you keep your kids in a public school? Um, you know, do you have to homeschool, you know, private Christian school? So, I mean, those are all decisions that have to be made uh, as you go through here. And, and he, mm. he just walks through and basically says, hey, wh- what do we need to do? He starts individually, says, hey, you know, the first place to start is not cursing the culture. <laughs> the first place to start is obviously look in the mirror. Right. Look in the mirror and say, hey, am, am I ready to engage? Right. Am I biblically sound? Is there anything that I've done, um, you know, to um, in some ways, um, you know, make the problem worse? Right. I, I mean, just, you know, the concept of as you're dealing with your your neighbors and, and people at work. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things where you have to say, do I treat them like human beings? Do I love them like Christ loved them? And I think that that one, that's a great place to start because we watch. Um, I think the air when Jesus was walking of the church at that time, right, the synagogue and, you know, the Pharisees um, and anybody who was kind of outside that system, they devalued from a humanistic standpoint, mm-hmm. right? So I think that's a, that's a legitimate Certainly thing. salvifically. Ex- exactly. Yeah, you were outside the covenant, so. Yeah. Which if you're watching The Chosen right so now. So good. He does a great job Especially season three, this yes. last finale. Yes. It's such a great job of showing mm-hmm. just exactly the truth of what you're talking totally. about, how they treated, yeah. you know, other people made in the image of God. Yes. Yeah. But if if you were, you know, if you were blind or if you had, you know, if you were lame or if you had something or whatever, it was, it was, it was you know, Jesus was going and healing people. And they're like, why, why would you spend time with those people? But you're sharing your message with Gentiles? Yes. Like, and so, so our concept has to be when we look at people who are different than we are, let's right. say just, you know, identify a person who's identifying as a different gender. Right. Do we look at them and say, ooh, that's awful. That's bad. Or do we look at them and say, you know what? That person's lost and hurt. How how do we help that person, right? And I think he's starting there, saying you gotta you gotta check your heart first, right? If you believe that that's a person created in the image of God, um, and it has as much access right to the Father and His forgiveness as you do, mm. then you would treat them differently. Now that doesn't mean that we don't speak truth, right? But the whole speaking truth in love <laughs> would obviously be be done a little bit differently. He goes on to say. Um, you know, there's there's an awareness of our complicity, right? Sometimes we just allow the culture to go and we don't stand up and, and don't say things that are different. And I think within our particular culture, especially as a representative democracy, part of that is true, right? Where has the church been with the truth of God's word to place men and women in positions of authority and leadership who have that truth and we hold them accountable to that? So, we, you know, we send up 535 guys, you know, to Capitol Hill, Right. Where are those people passing laws that say, hey, this is what's right and good and true, and humans can flourish under these conditions, right? Where are the people who are you know, representing us on the state level, at the local level? Those are things that we can say, hey, we, we can do. We can make a difference in those. That, that's easy. We walk to the ballot box, right? We take God's word. We look at the issues. We say, who are the people that align with God's word, right, and the truth that we know best? Put those people in office. Hold them accountable to do those things. Um, but then he goes on and says, um, the last part is the awareness of our complicity allows us to engage in the future of appropriate self-criticism, self-policing on such e- issues, right? Um, but just kind of this idea that, um, you know, that we need to take care of the house of God first before we go take care of everybody else's house. But then once we do that, um, how do we go out and live, right? Just as Christians in this particular culture, willing to make a sacrifice, um, you know, willing to lose a job because we're, you know, staying to our, true to our convictions, um, you know, willing to 
um, put ourselves in situations where we're inviting people over that we don't agree with everything that they stand for, but we're having them over for our house for dinner saying, hey, I'm just going to love on these people. I mean, those are all things that he's starting to ask us, what are you willing to do to engage this culture and stand up for what's right and true and good? Well, I think, too, there's, there's an implication here, along with all those excellent ideas, of, of really making the decision that you're going to get educated in two ways. Because that's a, that's a very common hyper progressive term. I, I was, this is, this is a total nerd out moment, but just bear with me. You know, Australia just named a new minister of gender inequality. Mm-hmm. I saw that online recently. And, uh, she was speaking to this idea that, uh, you know, this is significant and it's an important move. And, and, uh, this, this whole concept of my, my first responsibility is I'm just going to sit and learn. I'm like, oh, okay, that's, I, I, I think, I think I understand what you mean by that, but that's, that can't be all you're going to do. But, but there is an interesting little side door principle there. There's just so much idea of just, I need, I need to sit, I need to learn. Yep. I need to be, there's a reeducation reality there too. But for the Christian, there's a much different exhortation from the Proverbs, right? Is that, is that the, the wisdom is our friend. And I think for believers getting educated first and foremost, and I know Tim would agree with this first and foremost with what the scripture says, Amen. like getting really, really conversant with the Bible. Yep. Believing it and really hide it, what Psalm one nineteen says, hide it in your heart. And then secondly, don't be afraid to get educated with what you see in the world and yeah. what you hear. Yeah. Not to, not to avail yourself to be negatively influenced, but to be realistic about the fact that certainly as young you know young dads, for instance, any dad, I've I've got to have my head on a swivel yeah. on what I'm hearing. For a yeah. young guy, maybe in the university context or out in graduate school or out in the business world, like you need to pay attention. And be aware of what's being said. And I, lo- I love his nod to history in there because, you know, this idea that high Middle Ages and the Reformation era, we look at these eras at like the cities on a hill and everybody was a Christian and everybody obeyed the law. And people forget like a few months after Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses on Wittenberg's door, there was a dude 300 miles east that was invading half of Europe and it was the Muslim caliphate was coming. Yep. And there's a great story that Luther translates the Quran for his fellow priestly brothers, so they would be ready just in case they've got to live amongst Islamic rule so mm-hmm. they can still move the gospel forward. And that we just we forget that story because yep. here's Luther rocking it out, right? But he they're living in perilous times. It's not like we're inventing the wheel here. And there yeah. is there is a roadmap for Christians to thrive in this. Yeah. I, I think uh, Truman's gonna say this. He goes, um, you know, we live in crazy times, which is why, right, our task of teaching Right, the people of God, the whole counsel of God Amen. is so important. Right, and I think that's the great reminder to me is, um, you know, you need to be in a church right that opens up the Word of God, mm. right, and says, right, here's what the Word of God says, right, and how do you apply it to the way you run your family, right, your finances, right, your time, your talents, your treasure, right? How do you, how do you take the Word of God and use this as your, um, you know, your your compass for life, right? And and there's there's no part of life that you can't expose to the Word of God and say, how do I do this, right? And gender and sexuality are one of those. So if, you, if you're at a church that's not teaching a biblical concept of gender and sexuality, of marriage, of maleness, of femaleness, right? If you're at a church that's teaching something contrary to the Word of God, you need to know God's Word first. And then, as you said, you need to you know prick up your ears and say, okay, well, what, what are you saying about it? And then you can go to the world and say, okay, what are you saying about it? And I think the interesting thing um, is going to be this whole idea is um, as the world gets darker, the light of the church, right, the light of the gospel, um, in a sense, only gets brighter. And and it's that that thing where as people um, live out their expression, right, is we know that since it runs 
contrary to the way that God has designed the world, it's ultimately and unfortunately, but ultimately going to fail and it's going to lead to lives of destruction. Now, what happens? Where's where's the church in this? Well, hopefully the church is walking alongside people and saying, hey, how can I help you? Right? How do I how do I love a person well who's hurting? Um, as opposed to saying, you know, hey, I, I told you, right? You know, going 80 miles an hour and running into a brick wall is not going to be a smart thing. Well, fantastic, right? Yes, you said that. And yes, they did that. Now what do you do? Help them pick up the pieces, take them back to the forgiveness that God has given you and shown you, mm-hmm. right? And hopefully people get changed by that. And I've got um, a very good friend, um, you know, who's coming out with a book soon, right? She was a lesbian activist uh, up in, you know, the Seattle area. Right, um, got in a, 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 in a car accident, came down to Texas, ends up getting um, saved by a friend. Um, goes back up in Seattle. Her, her lesbian, you know, community will have nothing to do with her. Mm. She comes down here. She gets plugged into a church. She starts growing in her discipleship, um, growing in the Lord. Right, and and her whole theology changed the way that she viewed gender, sexuality, marriage, all those things because she spent time in the Word and around um, a body of believers that helped train and disciple her and take her to the Word of God, right? right? And that's that's what we need to do. And it, I know it seems like we're talking about a cultural aspect. So we're talking about you know thousands, millions of people, right? But it's really, it's a one-on-one thing, right? What a, What's Dan Panetti going to do? What's my family going to do? And this is what I'm responsible for. That's right. So what else? Anything else for this incredible book? We finished it, right? If you've that's read right. the whole way through, nine chapters. Um, for a lot of guys, finishing a book is a is a major accomplishment. So if you've uh, if you've read it and finished it, congratulations. Um, we'll, uh, we'll we'll go from here and uh, and pick up our next book in a couple months. So, Tim, Jonathan, I appreciate your time helping me kind of weed through yeah. um, some pretty heavy sledding with uh, with Dr. Carl Truman. Um, you will get your honorary doctorates. I'll send those yeah. out in the mail to you for for accomplishing this. You'll book. be signing them, right? I'll yes, be signing please. them. Amen. Please, please, please endorse them. Yeah, so, yeah, that's 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 a big deal. Now, before we we sign off, Dan, as you were as you were sharing, man, my my pastoral heart and the spirit of God mm. in me was just you know resounding, amen and yeah. amen. You know, what we believe about God is the most important thing about us because it impacts everything we do, and amen. I think you can't go. I mean, just as you were talking, I just can't help but think of, you know, Second Timothy three sixteen and 17, right? All Scripture is inspired by God, right? God, the creator of the universe, loved us so much that he revealed himself to us through the Scriptures, all 66 books. They're perfect, they're inerrant, they're infallible, and he gave them to us so that we could know him and love him and uh, obey him and... I mean, it talks about it, right? All Scripture is inspired by God, and it's profitable, right? It, it is good for us. Yes. It teaches us. It rebukes us. It tells us when we've gone astray. It corrects us. It shows us how we uh, address things and get back on course, right, so that we can be complete and equipped for every good work. So I just can't say it over and over again, just what you were talking about earlier, just the importance of knowing God's Word, trusting God's Word, and living out God's Word because it's for our good yeah. and it's for His glory. So. Yeah. And I'd say only one extra thing is if you're looking to the Word of God without first surrendering your life to God Amen. through His Son, Jesus Christ, um, the book takes on a different meaning. Yeah, that's right. It's not just a book that you read like instructions for Ikea. Um, it really is the heartfelt letter from your father Amen. that when he's your dad, you read the letter differently. And so I would say start with, right, where's your relationship with the Lord? And then go to his word and allow him to inform you through that. Amen. So, Guys, thank you for your time and appreciate it. 
Thank you for listening to Training for Manhood. If you found the conversation to be valuable, make sure to rate us where you listen to podcasts. Also, check out additional content on our website, trainingformanhood.com. That's training, the number four, manhood.com. Until next time, in the words of King David, be strong and show yourself a man. Thank you.